The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. And for the reading of God's Word, chapter 44, I've entitled this message, The Test of the Silver Cup. Chapter 44, New King James Version. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the man's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word of Joseph had spoken. Verse 3, As soon as morning dawned, the men, that's the brothers, were sent away in their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city, they were not yet far off. And the picture of that is they're still under the jurisdiction of Egypt. Joseph said to his steward, who is Manasseh, for all of you scholars, that's his son, get up and follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and the one which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil. Verse 6, so he overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it for us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver and gold from, the Lord's from my Lord's house? From your Lord's house, pardon me. Verse 7. With whomever of your servants is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched, and he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkeys and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell down before the ground, before him on the ground. Now this is the fulfillment of the second, the actual specific fulfillment of the second dream found earlier in these texts. In the previous chapters, that is. Verse 15, and Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What should we say to my Lord? What should we speak? Or how should we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also of whom the cup was found. And he said, Far be it for me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servants speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or brother? And we said, My Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead. And he 
alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. And then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he leaves his father, his father would die. Verse 23. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall, not, you shall see my face no more. And so it was. We went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. For if our youngest brother, if our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out for me and said, surely he is torn to pieces. And I, have not, and I have seen him no more. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being Joseph? Listen, don't just read this stuff and not let it touch your heart. Can you imagine 20 years, your brother's talking to you, confessing the sin, basically, and talking about your father. Verse 29. But if you take this one, talking of Benjamin also, also from me, calamity befalls him. You shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servants, to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us that he will die. So your servant will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant, for your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if you do not bring him back, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Father, we pray, release your power, your truth, changes, rearranges. Do whatever you'd like to do. Release all that's in your heart this morning. May we never be the same because of the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't particularly care for tests, and it's good to see a text like this to remind us that all of us are going to go through tests. In fact, no matter what's going on in your life, you're being tested. Look at your neighbor and say, this is a test. Yeah, this is a test. All of us are in the midst of a test. I'm rejoicing along with many others as Pastor Vince has come back from the doctor this past week. They were concerned that he had a heart challenge, some kind of a problem. I'm rejoicing that there's no problem in his heart. Somebody say hallelujah. But in order to figure that out, they had to do some, yeah, they had to do some tests. Tests, you find out what you, what you know or what's going on in your body or in your soul or in your mind, tests are good. And the thing that many people don't realize is that tests are there to help us. Tests are one of God's ways of promoting us. So if you're in the midst of the test, ask yourself, how are you doing? Right. Tests are wonderful because they're opportunities for elevation, blessing, and healing. Don't ever think that the devil is testing you. God is the one who tests. The devil is the one who tempts. 
Temptation and testing are two different things. God does test. And you'll see in James chapter 1, my brother, and count it all joy. Everybody say joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But in verse 13 of James chapter 1, you might want to turn there. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. No, it's the devil that tempts, and your flesh falls into temptation, but God doesn't tempt. But God does allow for tests. Amen. And when tests come, you either pass or fail. The wonderful thing about God most of the time is if you fail his test, you get to take it again. No, temptation comes from the devil, comes from your flesh, and it doesn't come from God. God's plan for you is to bless you. God's plan for you is to prosper you. God's plans for you, his intention, he wants you to fulfill your destiny. He doesn't set up roadblocks to trip you and mess you up. Come on, God, God doesn't do that. That's not the God of the Bible. But God does allow for tests in an attempt to promote us. And in those tests, it can be difficult. But if you'll overcome, you'll experience blessing, healing, and rewards. So let's look at this text. That's why this text is so important to us. You know, can God trust you? Can God trust you with what, he's, what he desires to give you? I have teenagers in my house. My daughter drives a vehicle now. So it's no more... No more dolls and things like that. It's cars and uh, going on dates and going to college and the things that young adults are about. Amen? Yeah. She has privileges. The reason she is allowed to have those privileges is because she has passed my tests. I have all kinds of tests. Yeah, I can pretty much tell when anybody's lying to me any second that they lie. It's a discernment that I have. My, my beautiful daughter, my son, they've, they've passed tests. So one of the tests was, okay, you need to be back at 9 p.m., let's say. That's not 9.05, and it's not 9.10, it's not three minutes after 9, it's 9. So if you're late, there would best be a phone call and a good reason, right? And many times when it comes, comes near that time, there's um, some negotiations. A phone call will come at about 8.30. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And he wants to negotiate. Well, we're in the middle of a movie, and uh, we go a little bit longer. But because the original tests have been passed, there's trust, right? See, God wants to bless you, but if he can't trust you, he's not going to give you what, all that you, that you desire, all that he wants to give you. He can't. You know, I know that what, what we're walking in now, I would have failed at 15 years ago. Don't look at me like that. Some of you think you're all impervious. God, God's working on things on the inside of you, and, he's, and, and you've got to pass the test. These brothers here faced a test by their brother Joseph unknowingly throwing all kinds of tests at them. Tests are good. Say tests are good. Yeah, don't ever waste a good test. Don't ever waste a good trial. Joseph had passed moral tests. And here he is, second in command of the largest nation. 
And this big test comes. This, in fact, is the final test for the brothers and after which Joseph is going to reveal himself to them. So everything seems to be going well. Let's go ahead and look at the text here in our, our reading of these verses. Everything seems to be going well. Simeon is out of jail. They've got food. They've had a meal. Uh, they were tested when Benjamin, can you imagine going over someone's house and you sit down, there's a whole bunch of people there, and, and you're the one that has five times the portions on your plate. That's what Joseph did to Benjamin, seeing how the brothers would respond. Hey, why'd you get so much food? There's none of that. We don't hear any of that. We just see, whoa, he's blessed. And they've passed all of these tests. Now the, the final test is they have come to the city. They've brought Benjamin. Jacob knows that they're, they're waiting. He's waiting there in Canaan's land. And so they're going to all go home. But Joseph has a silver cup. The cup that he drinks from, the cup of divination, and let me speak to that for a moment. You'll see it two times, this cup of divination. Egyptians would take a cup or a, a bowl, and they would put water in it. Then they would sprinkle silver or gold, and they would watch how it responds in the water to then predict the future. And uh, also gems they would use. So this is a cup that is said to be the divination cup. The idea is it is a sacred cup, and you never should have taken it. it it's elevated in such a way to show the baseness of their, of their actions. It doesn't necessarily mean that Joseph practiced divination, as some would say from this text. We don't know. But it is a, a sacred cup. And it's planted in their sacks. And so they take off. And while they're just outside the city, so in other words, they're still within the city, not, not enough so much that they could fight and get away to Canaan's land. They're still within the jurisdiction of the city. And Joseph sends his son, actually Manasseh, if you study it, he's the steward of Joseph's house, with instruction of, having, of accusing them and looking in their sacks. And of course, he knows that the, silver, the cup of silver is there. And so they're confronted. We're right in your notes now. And they defend themselves and express self-righteousness. And it's not, it, it reminds me of us. It reminds me of like, what? No way. There's, that could never happen. They're so full of pride, really, and self-righteousness that nothing happened that they basically say, you can kill the one that has the cup, and we'll, you know, we can all be your slaves. Wow. How many of you know you can be dead right? How many of you know what that experience? Yeah, you're dead right because you're dead. Yeah, you were right. You can be dead wrong. I've made decisions in my earlier life knowing certain things were true, but later, decades later, finding out that wasn't true at all. Revelation. And so they defend themselves and express their self-righteousness and this steward sets the terms for their punishment and basically says, no, we're just going to take Benjamin. We're just going to take the youngest. But they all get back on their donkeys and they all go back to Egypt, which is interesting. He said, you can go back to your father, but they all go back to Egypt with their brother. Benjamin is found with the planted cup. You see that in verse 12. They pass the test. They rend their robes. It's interesting that they're ripping their garments, so they're so upset. They sure weren't upset when they took the last brother and sold him off. Joseph, something's happened to these boys. Something took place in the lives of the brothers that transformed them from being someone who had no guilt over turning their brother over and lying to their father. Now they're rending their clothes and they're grieving. And so they come into Joseph and... Uh, 
and Judah, this is the longest speech in Genesis by a human being. And he basically states his case, but he doesn't argue. And there's no, what can you say? The, the facts are, we're busted and I've got nothing to say. But what's fascinating is how he confesses his iniquity. They fall before Joseph and they confess their true sin in verse 16. I want you to see this with me. Look at verse 16. Genesis 44 and verse 16. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Wow. He's not talking about the stealing of the, sil of the cup. He's talking about the iniquity that they did to their brother Joseph. And he's confessing it. Because they've already said, you know, we've not taken the cup. Now he's confessing iniquity. What iniquity? And he goes on this monologue to Joseph, which I can't imagine being Joseph. Can you imagine your older brother saying all these things, broken before you, Joseph having to hold it together? And our next message, which I so wanted to get to this morning, because it's just amazing. Joseph cracks and reveals everything, cries so loud that Pharaoh's house hears it. Has anybody heard a cry like that? I have. A cry of, of sorrow and healing and even exuberance. Judah, then in a Christ-like way, even in a type and shadow of Christ, is willing to substitute his life on behalf of Benjamin's, which is profound. Actually, through the lineage of Judah would come the Messiah. And Judah now confesses his iniquity and offers himself as a, as a substitute for his brother's sin, even though his brother didn't do it. And verse 34 could be a whole series of messages. Look at verse 34. He's more concerned. He's concerned about his father. Look at verse 34. How shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? He's so concerned. What a change. What a change in these boys. What happened to the guys that just were so irritated and filled with pride that they're willing to sell their own flesh and blood off? Now he's willing to give his life and he's more concerned about his father. Where was the concern when he took the bloody garment and he said to his father, yeah, we don't know where Joseph is, but is this his? Is this his, what, what happened to that? What happened to that guy? His conscience was like seared for 20 years dealing with the guilt. Now he's standing before the very brother that he sold into slavery, but he doesn't know it's him. Joseph hearing all of this, my goodness. And he says, I will be the sacrifice. I will be the substitute because I pledged. They could have lied again. They could have left the brother again, could have gone back, and maybe dad would die, maybe he wouldn't, whatever. You know, let's just go free, all right. You know, you, just, you know, plus, I mean, he's favored too. How many of you know that Benjamin was also favored? He's favored by, by Joseph, he's favored by his son. It could, they could have had the same attitudes towards Benjamin that they had toward Joseph, but they don't. And he's more concerned about his father than he is himself. And I will tell you that once you begin to mature in God, your concern will not be so much about people anymore.
No, no, you'll love them, you'll have compassion for them, but you'll be more concerned about your Father in heaven than about what people think about you. The fear of man brings a snare. And I will tell you, in my own life, as I began to, I'm still growing up. Anybody else still growing up? Praise God. I feel like a teenager in the Lord. As I began to serve the Lord, having a walk that vacillated back and forth between obedience and disobedience in those early years, what really changed me was a deep awareness of God's love for me. I mean, he would just come upon me in such a way and talk to me through his word and through people and circumstances that the evidence of his love for me was overwhelming. That no matter what I did, he wouldn't leave me. No matter how I even would turn my back in disobedience, it seemed that he would still be there waiting with open arms for me. And he wore me down. He, I mean, I'm going to tell you, you do that to people, they cut you off. And there is, a place, there is a place where you can be turned over to a reprobate mind. But it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And God's love overwhelmed me and overshadowed me, even at times of disobedience. And I finally got to the place where I was like, man, I'm sick of hurting you. I don't want to hurt you anymore. It wasn't even about me or what I wanted or about other people. I just thought, like, I can't do it to you anymore. How could you love me with this kind of love? That is a place that all believers need to get to, where his opinion and what he thinks and what he feels and what he's going through, what God's going through towards you, that you're more concerned about that than your own need. You're more concerned about that than people's opinion. And that, that's what happens to, to Judah. He's more concerned about his father. You can take me as a slave, whatever, as long as my, long as my father is okay. That's love. How do we know what love is that one man lays down his life for another? Judah lays down his life, really. And it's the ultimate test for him, and he passes. Wow. I believe that God is speaking to us this morning in the midst of your test. All of us will be tested to see what's in our hearts. All of us will. Everyone. You're in a test right now, whether you realize it or not, you're in one. The tests vary. They come in different forms and shapes. So ask yourself, how are you doing on the test? Sure is quiet in here. Let me read some of these scriptures to you. Each of us will have tests and you'll pass them or you'll fail them. If you pass them, you get promoted, you get elevated, you get healing, you get blessed. If you don't, then you get to go around the mountain again. But in fact, there are some times you, get, you don't get to go around the mountain again. Ten try, the ten representatives brought back a bad report. Two brought back a good report when Moses sent them into the promised land. The ten brought back a bad report and said, we can't, we can't take this land. We seem like grasshoppers, and so we were grasshoppers in our own eyes. It's a profound scripture. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. They didn't see themselves as the army of God. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. They didn't see themselves as victors. They saw themselves as victims. They didn't see themselves as conquerors. They saw themselves as conquered slaves. And God is trying to change their mindset. And they couldn't get a shift. Their, their, their God was too small. And their enemy was too big. They didn't realize that God was with them. So when they come back, Caleb and Joshua, may we have a spirit like that? Yeah. Said, give me my mountain even at 80 years old. Caleb and Joshua said, we can do it. God's with us. We're going to drop it with heads that big we can't miss. Come on. Let's do it. 
and 10 brought a bad report, and so they didn't go into the promised land and had to wait another 40 years. But if you'll study that text, the following day after the denial of going into the promised land, the 10 come to Moses and said, you know something, you're right. God really is with us, and we're going to go in now. And he's like, oh, no, you missed it. Like, no, no, no. We're going to go in now, and we'll conquer. And Moses is like, you can't go. God's not with you. He said, no, no, no. We're going to go. They go, and they get their tails kicked. Yeah. Yeah. You see, there's the, and that was it for them. They needed, their carcasses dropped in the desert. Their kids took over, and they went in. There are some times where you don't get a second chance. Come on, someone say, pass the test. Pass the test. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Verse 13, the Apostle Paul writing the church in Corinth is expressing to them the revelation of the judgment day for the believer. And he's trying to make them aware that all of us are going to give an account. And I want you to look at this, 1 Corinthians 3. You see, you need to be tested. You need to test yourself. And if you don't test yourself now, you can't fool the Son of Man on the day. On the day, you can't manipulate Jesus. You can't manipulate the Father when you stand before him. You, can, you might fool everybody with the Christian face or the, the nice praise the Lord that you might have. But what you do in the dark is the level of Christianity that you do have. Put that scripture up, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13. And I want you to see this. He says to them, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. He's talking about the day, the judgment seat of the believer. You see, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, glory to God. Somebody say glory. Yeah, glory. But you're still going to stand before him to receive judgment. Now, it's not a judgment that you and I can ever really understand because it's a judgment, a righteous judgment that brings rewards or losses, but you don't forfeit heaven. There is a judgment where you end up in hell. That's when you're not covered by the blood. That's when you've not repented of your sin. That's the judgment seat of unbelievers. But there is a, a place of judgment for you and me where we stand before God on the day. Everybody say the day. The day. The, day, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Great for you and me, dreadful for those who don't know him. But there is a suffering of loss and a reward system, and it's fascinating to me. I'm not sure all that that is. I've heard it said, and it makes sense, that the reward is to be closer to the throne. And to suffer loss, maybe it means to be further away from the throne, but it's all good. No more tears, no more weeping, no more sickness. You still get the heaven package, but you don't get as close to the throne, maybe. All I know is we're going to be judged for every idle word and everything that we've done. So we ought to test ourselves now. I got a yes in the front row. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. For this end I also write that I might put you to the test whether you're obedient in all things. Wow. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. 
I speak not by commandment, but by my testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. He's challenging them to give to understand the context of that scripture. He's saying, look, the Macedonians did all this. I'm challenging you. You really love, you really believe, then give. That's what the Apostle Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians 8, right there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. I like saying it this way. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. It's wonderful to test. Are you saved? Are you born again? Turn to 1 Corinthians while, we, while, while I can smell something burning. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You see, because just because you came to church today doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you got baptized doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because, you, just because you say that you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 is a very convicting scripture that I want to just break down as we test ourselves this morning to test to see whether you find yourself in the faith. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful test to have because you'd hate to find out that you're not in the faith if you die and you end up before the throne. How are we doing? 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. What version is that? Can I have New King James, please? Because I want to go. I want to hear the word fornicate and sodomite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's not water it down. Let's say it. Oh, yeah. I like this version right here. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Everybody say, don't be deceived. Okay, don't be deceived. So watch this now. So don't be deceived. Here you go. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. Let's stop right there. Fornicators is having sex outside of marriage. That's what that is. If you have sex outside of marriage, you are a fornicator. And if you're practicing that, you have no place in heaven. I don't care how often you claim the name of Jesus. Now, once you get saved, there is a sanctification process. All right? So I've seen people get saved, but they're still in the lifestyle of fornication. So they're, they're still having sex outside of marriage. Y'all, look at me. You should see what I'm looking at. This is not ear tickling. If you're being offended right now, maybe you have sin in your life. Listen, I'm love you enough to tell you. So fornication is sex outside of marriage. So I've seen people get saved, give their hearts to Jesus. Then they struggle with that. God convicts them. I believe that they would die in that state. I believe they'd go to heaven. As they're being convicted and they're like, ah. Oh. But there comes a point when they're like, no, I want to do the do. And I, I, and I want to serve God too. It's at that point that I would wonder. And I'm not God, thankfully. You're not either. We don't know. God's merciful. Somebody said, well, my, my cousin received the Lord and then, he, and then he passed away and he was with his girlfriend. Like, Come on, God's good. Come on, God's good. But you can't read this and say it's all good for you to go back and, and say you love Jesus. That's, that, that you love Jesus, you obey his word. He has a prescribed way of, I know it kind of, he's not trying to steal your fun. He's trying to give you the full blessing. He's trying to help you. He's trying to bless you, all right? It's really, it's really for, your, for our own good. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. Idolaters. If you fill anything in your life, if anything in your life takes the place of God, that would be an idol. 
I've seen people make idols out of movies. I've seen people make idols out of girlfriends, boyfriends. I've seen people make idols out of food. I've been personally convicted just recently. I'll throw myself under the bus. My wife has started this nutrition plan that's working extremely well for her. And so I thought, as I prayed, I feel like the Lord wants me to support her. And so I said I'd join the plan. Well, the plan is no sugar. No big deal. Right? Hello? No big deal, right? Yeah. You try to quit. You go ahead and knock out complex carbohydrates and sugars, I dare you. You might want to take about four days off before you do that because most people are so highly addicted to sugar that once that happens, I feel like you're breaking off a heroin addiction. Oh, and I know. So I quit sugar. I thought I was going to die. And then, I, and then I found my thoughts. I found my thoughts like if there was a hope of having some, I found myself getting a little excited about that. Oh, I'm just being honest. No, there's something wrong with that. I think there's something wrong with that. That's all. And I, and my, I was telling my wife as I'm pounding headache, I feel like somebody crushed my head. And, you know, we've done this for fasting and stuff, but many of my fasts, I'll drink the sugar. I'm just saying. Huh? Have a little smoothie with a little honey in there. Uh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching it. I've done full water fast. That's different. You go through the death of the sugar thing. And listen, don't do this unless you can like, talk to a doctor because there's toxins that can be released that really make you really sick. So I thought, oh, I'm going to do it. So I got into it. I'm like, I don't like this too much. Maybe we can support her another way. <laughs> I'm feeling like I want to throw in the towel. In fact, the first week, I totally, totally failed. But then she said this to me. She said, yeah, you're addicted to sugar. I just thought, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. So I just took it as the word of the Lord. I don't want to be addicted to anything except Jesus. I don't want to have to have anything except the Lord. Now we all got to eat and we got to drink, we got to breathe. Hello. So God, by his grace and the help of my wife, was able to crucify my flesh. And I will tell you, having broken that thing off, I realized what a hold it had on me. In fact, it might have even been an idol. Now, I'm just talking about me. I'm not talking about you. Talk about me. And I realize, as I look back at my life, the Lord's trying to even get me off of sugar for almost 30 years. And I, and I'm, you know, pray for me. <laughs> pray I pass the test. Hallelujah. And I, I believe I'm supposed to eat this way the rest of my life. It's not been so much fun, this first part. And I realized, to be honest with you, I realized that there were times of duress. Yeah, you know, I'd love to tell you something different. You know, oh yeah, pastor, yeah. In other words, times of duress, I'd find myself eating something before I even realized I was eating it. You know, I've already hammered the, the coffee cake or whatever. Lord. <laughs> yeah, we go to prayer after that. I, I, I've been like that. Don't look at me like that. Don't look at me with that religious tone of voice. Some of you got the same issues. Uh-huh. Yeah. We better move on. Oh, yeah. Could have been that that's been an idol for me. I'm not saying it wasn't saved, but, you know, God will expose things in your life, then you deal with them, right? 
nor adulterers. You know what that is? That's somebody who has sex. They're married, but they have sex outside their covenant of marriage. That'll destroy you. That'll kill you. It'll kill your family, destroy your kids. Uh huh. He doesn't love me. Stop. I fell out of love. That's the stupidest thing I have ever heard. Let me stick a fork in it real quick. Love has nothing to do with feelings. Zero. It's great when you can feel the warm fuzzies. Amen. Oh, oh, I love you, baby. I love you, baby. Huh? Singing her Al Green songs. I love you, love you, baby. But you know, the feelings... Feelings. <laughs> Feelings are overrated. Can you imagine if Jesus let his earthly life by his feelings? We'd all be headed to hell. He didn't do it by not by not he didn't do it by feelings. He did it through obedience. Listen, start acting loving, start giving, start serving, start pouring your life out. Do the loving thing. Lay down your life. Quit being so selfish, and you'll find your heart begins to beat wildly for your bride or for your groom again. Try that. The 40-day love dare. That's just doing loving things for 40 days and starts working again. She got so selfish. Well. Nor homosexuals. Do we need a definition of that? Nor sodomites. Actually, the Greek is, is, is passive and active homosexuality. Go to verse 10. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. So the word, in other words, if you're getting drunk, and you have a habit of getting drunk, you better stop that. That's bad. That's bad. That'll, that'll, the, the, you can forfeit heaven by that. Nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a very convicting scripture. I love the next verse, though. Hang on. You say, Pastor, you've just wiped out the entire church. I know, including myself. Because, and such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. That's what some of you were. You used to be that, but now you're a new creation. Now you're born again. The old is gone. The new has come. You're not an adulterer anymore. You're not a fornicator anymore. You're not an adulterer anymore. You are a child of God, bought by the blood of Jesus, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. But if you don't test yourself and check yourself, you could go on service after service, lifting your hands and maybe even praying in tongues and actually be missing heaven because you're doing things that are contrary to what God's word says. Now, if you've been offended right now, get over yourself and repent. Praise the Lord. Let's move on to the next point. Tests. We all have to test ourselves. Look at B, true guilt is good. You see, Judah, standing before his brother, confesses his iniquity. The problem with our culture today is they've thrown out the word of God, so the word of, it's the word of God that brings conviction to know what is right and what is wrong. The Ten Commandments make it plain and prove to us that we can't do it, so we need a savior, right? Yeah. Judah confesses his iniquity. He knows that he's done wrong. 
many people don't confess their sin and their iniquity because they get talked out of it by a culture that says it doesn't really matter because you could just do whatever you want to and it's really not all that big a deal. And then there's this whole message mostly in the lower 48 of this sloppy, agape, this, this hyper grace thing that says, well, he died for your sins, past, present, and future, so you can just do whatever you want to and it's all good. He forgives you already. You just, you'll just receive that. You don't have to repent. You'll never hear about repentance in that message. But the truth is that true guilt is good. There is false guilt. Here's false guilt. When you're growing up in your household, maybe uh, you're young and your parents get divorced. And then as you grow up, you take on the responsibility of that divorce and make it your own. And you believe that the divorce was a result of you, that you could have been a better child, a better son, or a better daughter. That's false guilt. Or when somebody dies and you're there and, and you feel like you could have done something different or, or, or maybe the enemy just lies to you and says it's your fault that they died if you were there or if you had called and on and on and on. We see this in counseling dozens and dozens and dozens of times. There is false guilt. You need to be set free from that and just trust God and, and release yourself from that. But true guilt is like when you're going through 1 Corinthians 6 and you really are in fornication with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you're like, oh, snap, that's true guilt. Yes. And true guilt's a good thing. It could save you. When you experience pain in your soul, it's an indication. Let me, let me, let me say this. If I, if I hurt myself, well, just recently I went to a chiropractor. Just my back felt a little tweaked. I got adjusted. Feeling good now. Praise the Lord. How'd you know that my back was tweaked? Well, I felt pain. So pain in your physical body is an indication of something wrong, correct? Pain in your soul is an indication there's something wrong with your soul. So if you constantly dismiss it and push it off, you have an illness, a sickness, a disease that's going to rob you. In this, a spiritual disease, a soul disease. Can I say it that way? So true guilt, when it comes, it shows that you're violating God's law. Right. Don't, don't allow the world to convince you that you can do anything you want. Worship team, would you come, please? Don't allow the world to convince you that you can do it any, anything you want, because you cannot. Right. Look at our next point. We're almost done. We can change. We can be changed. Judah. He led the, he led the charge of taking Joseph, selling Joseph off. And here he is, now substituting his own life. Judah was changed. And the good news is, if they can be changed in the Old Testament without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change too. You can change too. You can be healed also. You're in a test this morning. You're going through a test. God wants you to pass. If you have guilt, you can, you can be forgiven. If you're convicted, God's convicting you of sin, you have guilt, you've done something wrong, you don't keep that, don't leave this place with that. Get rid of that. That's not, don't, don't, that's not for you to hold on to. Be forgiven. Receive the, the forgiveness of the Lord. Maybe you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and, and you find yourself in a place of compromise. Well, ask God to forgive you today and stop going down the road of compromise. You say, well, I'm not ready. You know, the, the thing about the, the human heart is, is you just don't know what's going to be the thing that tips the scale to cause you never to think about God again. The devil is a bad devil. And if you're here in church, that means the Lord has brought you. That means that God has brought you here to speak to you a message like this. You know, in a moment, we're going to receive communion. 
And in 1 Corinthians 11, go ahead, turn there very quickly, very quick. 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul says in verse 28, everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He's talking about communion and he's talking to the church in Corinth. They're filled with pride and messing things up. And he's rebuking them and giving them instruction. For those who eat the and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So here's, here's what he's saying. If you take communion, like, like now, like we're about to, so I'm, I'm, I'm pre-warning you before it's passed out. Because some of you might want to not take it after I teach you what I'm about to teach you, which is absent from, from most teaching in the church today. If you take communion right now without discerning, and discern to discern is to know that which is good and that which is evil, but also to tell that which Jesus has done. So if you eat the bread and drink the cup without discerning the Lord, let me, let me read it exactly to you. Without discerning the body of Christ, then you drink judgment on yourselves. In the Old Testament, there was a th thing called a cup of cursing cup of cursing was used in adultery when a woman was caught in the act of adultery she would be if she committed adultery if her husband accused her would bring the, the before the priest and she would drink this special cup now you can go read this and if she was innocent then she would live but if she was guilty she would die it was a cup of cursing and there's a cup of blessing that's what we're about to have but this is also a cup of cursing for those who don't discern those who see jesus christ crucified know that he died on a cross know that he rose again from the grave and you're just going to slam this little cracker and juice like it's no big deal then actually what you're doing is you're drinking judgment on yourself not a popular teaching but it's what it's saying and then he goes on to say he goes on to say, that's why many of you are weak, whoa, and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep, which actually is death, because for a believer is death. So do you mean that if, if I declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but live a life that's contrary, and don't discern the Lord's body, his, his blood, his, his broken body, that actually when I drink this right now, that I'm drinking judgment on myself or I'm releasing blessing? Yeah, that's exactly what it's saying. Listen, we're in the New Testament. This New Testament, that's not Old Testament, that's new. Ananias and Sapphira. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to put the fear of God in you, trying to help you out, trying to help you because God wants you blessed. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I really am trying to convince you that God is good. And he really loves you, has this amazing plan. But you cannot continue to do life the way that you want to do it and say that it's all going to be okay, because it isn't. That's not Bible. I don't know who taught you that, but it wasn't me, and it never will be. So ushers, would you come? You say, well, you ain't talking to me. Well, glory to God. I ain't talking to me either, except for the sugar thing, and I've already repented of that. Praise the Lord. I'm doing the best I can to live for God. And even now, examine, Lord, convict me. Anything? Hallelujah. Listen, that's how you live. Okay, so, Lord. Well, there's one thing I think I have to 
deal with. It's not a sin, but I just felt like the Lord said, no, no, you need to talk to this person because there's this thing there. Okay, I will. Amen. I'm going to take communion. I'll deal with it later. You can do that. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful, and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065, or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.